0: So for people who uh, accuse us and rightfully so a lot of just reading Twitter and talking about it on this podcast, I'm going to read Twitter and talk about it on this podcast right now. Uh, this is from uh, internet friend Jay Arnold uh, at Jay Arnold, uh, T-A-M-U-85. If you don't know Jay, um, he played uh, played for a couple seasons at Texas A&M in the early two, 2010s, played defensive line there. Uh, and it's just a really good follow for – uh, college football thoughts. Um, he's got a fun. He's got a fun substack. Uh, he tweets about barbecue a lot, which is why I like following Jay and and uh, keeping up with him. But uh, Jay got a tweet the uh, the other day or it was on Sunday. It said this is from this guy tweeted him and said, Jay, why did Texas A and M's defense not try to stop opponents in 2013? Just saw a rewatch of Texas A and M versus Auburn like A&M's defense was purposely avoiding tackles and trying to lose the game on purpose. To which Jay graciously re- replies, uh, I can't speak for everyone else, but SEC football is hard and sometimes you don't execute. All I remember is not being anywhere near athletic enough to stop a zone read ran by Nick Marshall, um, which prompted some appreciation uh, from Auburn fans and elsewhere for the greatness that is Nick Marshall. But... Um, I, I, we, we, we talk about that 2013 team. We talk about that early Gus Malzahn team a lot. But like the more you watch them, and I encourage you, if you haven't in a while, go to YouTube, go find an SEC network replay or something like that, and go watch just a random game in 2013. And just that collection of talent Um, in specific, like, here's what these – like, everybody knew Nick Marshall was not an NFL quarterback, right? Like, people knew that, you know, he didn't really have a ton of NFL receivers around him either. Um. And like maybe Auburn's running backs weren't, you know, all going to be first rounders, but man, they had it was just like guys who played their roles and like maximized it, um, and it was the, the kind of style of college football that that can be really really fun, um, dude, they were they I watched a I watched a 2013 game uh, bits of it the other day it was I believe it was the um it was the A and M game, uh, which one was it? I'm blanking on it at the moment. Uh, might have been, might have been Ole Miss. Might have been that. Uh, might have been Ole Miss from that year. Uh, and it's just like, oh, they're just creaming these people, <laughs> like with stuff that you you knew it was coming, and it still didn't matter. And like in this day and age of of college football, where everybody's so good at the highest level, and you and you try to get these wide ranging offenses and you do all that, um, there was something about just Auburn running this like this prehistoric offense in terms of scheme but doing it with all the 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 uh window dressing and the bells and whistles of of a a modern attack and and like just had dudes on their back feet really the whole game um i don't know if they necessarily get appreciated quite as much as they should but i think the further we get from that 2013 team i think we need to remind themselves like gosh they were they were unreal it was the old miss game i was watching because i remember this stat Auburn against Ole Miss in 2013. It was a 30 to 22 win at home. Auburn 11 of 17 passing for 93 yards. Get that dub.
1: <laughs> the Texas A&M game was like one of the most exciting games I have ever been to.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was unreal, and I I wasn't at that game. Um, I actually <laughs> I have a weird memory of that game for for reasons that I don't want to get into on the podcast, but. Um, I do remember watching that game and covering it remotely and just being like, Oh my God, they're going to do this. Like, it, and and that was like peak of his powers, Johnny Manziel too. like a year before um, the last game I attended as a fan. When I was a student in 2012, I remember walking home at halftime. Cause I mean, he was just decimating Auburn's defense. And then a year later they go to college station and get the win. And Auburn was just like, Hey, we knew this was going to have to be a shootout. But it was going to be a shootout on our own terms. Funny stat there from that one. Eleven of twenty five for two hundred and thirty six yards. Nick Marshall averaged nine and a half yards per attempt while completing only 44 percent of his passes.
1: The Tennessee game will always be the one that I love to look game. at.
0: Three of seven for thirty five passing yards. And then Chris Davis in like you know, late a few weeks later, the most uh famous punt slash kick return in Auburn football history. And the kick six. Um, but, uh, yeah, three weeks earlier against Tennessee completely muffs a, a punt against the Vols and then runs it in anyway. 55 23. Um, didn't Corey Grant have one as well? Uh, maybe see. a kickoff return in that game. Kick return for a touchdown. Corey Grant. That would have been, yeah, 90 yards. Good, good memory there. I didn't remember that. Um, yeah. Corey, Corey, it's just that team. Like if you look how good that 2013 team is the the best Auburn team, you know, in a decade, um, you know, even the guys who went to the NFL weren't necessarily superstars, you know, and didn't necessarily like shine crazy brightly at the next level, but they were just so good at playing, you know, that style and that, and that game in college, just to a really, really high level. And, uh, I just love, the, I, I just love the, the the tweet that Jay had. He was like, hey, SEC football is hard. And I was like, I, I replied to him. I was like, if I'm going to try to throw the game, you know, with this. And, and the funny thing is is that the guy who tweeted at him was an Oklahoma fan, which is like, man, that looks like they didn't play defense. It's like, brother, you're a fan of Oklahoma. I mean, they've got a guy in now that's one of the best defensive minds in football. But, like, for most of my lifetime, <laughs> Ole Miss is. Criticizing defense, I mean, uh, Oklahoma, but bit anyway, rich. yeah, I, I was pointing out like if I'm gonna throw the game like oh we're we're not trying to you know make the make the plays you know we're not we're not giving our effort if that's me, I'm not letting Jay Price touch me. I'm not letting Jay Price come within thirty yards of me because he's gonna he's gonna blow a hole into me like dynamite. He would just blast lanes into a defense defense left and right, and um, I think that just the other thing is that you know. That's where Nick Marshall was really so talented as a quarterback, um, and they played to his strengths really, really well, is that you knew what was coming, and it still didn't matter. It, it still didn't matter. He he was going to put up some yards in that game. He only had, I think, a couple games in his Auburn career where he just didn't really have it, and most of the time you just knew, yeah, that zone where he was going to eat you alive. And and defenses have gotten smarter, and defenses have adjusted and the zone read is not like the staple of offenses pretty much anymore. Like, you know, the R, now it's like the RPO. If anything, you you know, your quarterback's not necessarily going to run because you don't want to open himself, open himself up to that much kind of punishment. Um, really, really good quarterbacks now, even the athletic ones aren't getting hit as as often in the running game. Instead of saying, "Hey, you tuck the ball and go," it's "Hey, you pull the ball back and throw it." That's kind of like the, the that's the new wrinkle of it. But uh, yeah, like Nick Marshall. And I guess the Nick Marshall thing is like, you know, we talk about NIL and, and I'm tired of talking about NILs like as a concept, as like a, this big theory of, is it destroying football? Is it change? Like I, I'm glad it exists for the players. Like I always want to say Hey, let's go, Like when we were talking about conference tree alignment last week with Nicole, it's like, let's, let's talk about how it impacts the people who are doing it first and foremost. Um, But, like, Nick Marshall, to me, is, like, one of those, like, perfect examples of, like, I mean, he was a a super good quarterback, super popular quarterback at Auburn. Everybody knew he wasn't necessarily going to be an NFL guy, at least at quarterback. Um, But, man, how much money could he have capitalized on coming back in that 2014 season by being, hey, he was the guy. He was the guy. You saw Nick Marshall jerseys everywhere. Everybody was really excited about him. Um, And yet, you know, he didn't get to see any of that. Didn't get to see any of that because he came too early cult hero yeah and there's so many guys like that i think of like a jt barrett like a, i think there's like a there's scores of ohio state quarterbacks that have done like Cardell jones can you imagine Cardell jones in the nil era because again nobody really nobody really thought Cardell was going to be an nfl guy or like a starter at the nfl level and he got it he got a shot but you know he's playing in like the aaf you know uh when, when that was a thing uh there there's so much like It goes back to that. There was a mailbag question, you know, last week that I got. It was like, "Did you watch the USFL?" I was like, "No," but I'm glad it exists. And it's like, "Do you care about NIL and like reporting?" Like, I personally don't find it really interesting to write about or talk about deeply. One, I don't know a lot about it. You know, all the ins and outs. I leave that to the folks like Matt Brown, and 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 you know, there are others and that are like that's what their that's their go to thing uh, in the industry is. Uh, But number two, it's like. I don't find it really that much interesting to me, but I'm glad it exists, right? I'm glad that players can be compensated for their hard work and their talent and their value uh, to an institution. I think the USFL is kind of in that same thing, and like these minor league teams is like there are so many really good football players that you know, even if they don't make a 53-man roster in the NFL or may not get a practice squad spot, like. They still have an opportunity. They're still good enough to make their living playing football. So I'm glad it exists, but I'm not necessarily in this situation where it's like I'm going to be actively, you know, that might be hypocritical. of me. I don't know. I just, I, I, I you know, shout out to a guy like Sal canella one of the best wide receivers in the USFL this year. Like, awesome. Like, that's great. Like Sal, in addition to being a fashion designer, is still pretty good at playing football. Uh, and uh, I'm glad though there there the are opportunities for, for for that to to open up.
1: With any new league, I guess the challenge will always be creating a sense that there are stakes attached to the games. How do you get new fans to feel attached to the result?
0: I think the USFL just did. It. It's like, hey, this team is in Birmingham. It's like, well, all these teams are in Birmingham right now, and they're like, yeah, but this one says Birmingham on <laughs> it, and they're like, yeah, we're in. We're in. Um, I think you just got to put them in markets where people kind of attach on. I think like Birmingham, Birmingham will watch football of any sort on TV and and in person. Um, and maybe Birmingham and maybe this area of the the country is kind of unique in that. Um, but they just got to find more like that and, and find like get ways to get people excited. I guess like you know it's not going to be NFL numbers. You know it's not going to be college football numbers. But it's like in state in cities where like minor league baseball is still very popular i think that's kind of where you're wanting to go maybe some G League. i don't really know a ton about g league attendances and stuff like that but in basketball like that could be that could be another avenue where you look at that it's like you don't have to be like huge even though it is football but like there are some places where minor league baseball minor league basketball is 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 a is a good time and um people care about it and it and it's a good business and i think I think football, just because of this being the United States of America, I think in certain markets it's it's going to have an advantage over a lot of those places like that.
1: Nick Marshall with yet another interception for a touchdown. I think we call those a pick-six painter.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, and Shout-out to Nick. Where's Nick playing right now?
1: The Saskatchewan Rough Riders.
0: Yeah. And our boy... Ryan Davis is yes. still with the Ottawa uh, Blacks. He's on the injured list right now. I think he, com- I think he gets healthy in the middle of the season. I think when he can come off, then. But yeah, CFL's fun too. I will watch some CFL. It I- has I-
1: always I- annoyed me that they've got those goalposts where they do. I know that's how they used to do it way back in the day. It always worries me that someone's just going to careen into that thing.
0: Yeah, I saw it. It was like, and the commentator was like. And they went for it on third down, and the ball spotted at the fifty-seven yard line. And I'm like, this is this makes no sense at all. I'm in, but yeah, uh, there was a game I watched a couple of weeks ago. Jeremiah Masoli threw the ball downfield and hit Darvin Adams. Like, like, isn't that not just the perfect like time capsule? Like, it does take oh, you down
1: it. memory lane.
0: That's so was, good. Was he
1: when he transferred from Oregon? Where did he wind up? Because wasn't Auburn in that sweepstakes at one point? Ole Miss. Ole Miss. That's where he wound up. Yes. Yeah. It didn't. Did it really come to much for him?
0: Not really. You know, he was in that like pre like Ole Miss is good again kind of kind of era. By the way, shout out to shout out to uh, Darvin Adams. Um, Big D. 2017-20. He had back to back a thousand yard seasons in the CFL he's still just uh, he's still one of the best guys in the in that league. But yeah, man, Darvin Adams, you know, he statistically was awesome at Auburn. Like and, and we've talked about it in the past about how Auburn doesn't have like this grand wide receiver tradition, you know? And that That's the, putting the, it nicely, so they just don't have much of The, the at most all. prolific yeah, the most prolific receiver in school history is still a dude who played from played in the early 70s. Um but yeah, Darvin, man, and Darwin's with the with the Red Blacks now too. Um, but yeah, I'm li- I'm li- looking this up. Uh, he had he had nearly a thousand yard year in 2009. Because uh, do you remember him going wild in that Northwestern game in the Outback Bowl? That's it's actually 12?
1: that's actually not an, of all the memories I have from the Northwestern bowl game. Right, it's not one of them.
0: He had 12 catches for 142 yards in that game. Um, and then he had 200 – and famously had 217 receiving yards in the 2010 SEC title game. He had the Hail Mary. Um, but he did – he he skipped his senior season, went to the draft. He was undrafted uh, and pretty quickly ended up in the CFL where he's now I – mean, he's played the CFL now for a decade. I was
1: going to say when we were talking about that A&M game, hard to believe that it has been nearly 10 years.
0: Gosh. Oh, man. That's – it's so crazy to think about, right? Like this football season, I will have been doing this for over a decade now. That's wild. That's wild to think about, man.
1: I was listening so on the end of one of the podcasts recently, I put a song from Far East Movement, Rocketeer. That was a <laughs> time and a place.
0: Yeah. It's which didn't Far East Movement have another big one?
1: Yeah, like a G Six. That's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs>
0: That'll be the outro to this week. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless imparts unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello. Painter. Had a good weekend, sounds like. You uh, you went to an undisclosed big city. Yeah, uh, yeah, in yeah. In your vicinity. Pretty yeah. pretty good weekend. Had pretty a good great time. Oh, the weather just... Oh, so nice. So it's not blazing hot down here right now. There's been a lot of rain. And so we're, we're in the 80s instead of the 90s. But, like, the heat index is still pretty high. But in, so, there was a stretch where, like, the heat index here was, like... <laughs> you know, like near 110. Um, so we're getting a little bit of reprieve from that. For, for that, we are thankful. Uh, appreciate you guys listening, uh, to the podcast this week. If you're listening to this on the free feed, um, you may recognize, realize that there's another podcast here in this feed as well. Uh, and that is, we had a podcast last week, an episode with our friend, Nicole, our back of the athletic talking, um, conference realignment and what that means for the future. And then, Painter and I uh, had a discussion about Auburn basketball um, and Carmelo English. Um, So we talked about that. Uh, Carmelo English, obviously the the football player, Uh, Auburn basketball, the sport. Um, That's episode 193. Uh, You can listen to that. We have unlocked that for everybody. That was a subscriber-only podcast for a few days, Uh, but uh, it was so well-received we decided to unlock it. So you got this one uh, today and uh, also the one from last week. So you can check both of those out. And if you'd like to become a subscriber to The Observer, it's just $6 a month or $60 a year for a full subscription. We give you five things at minimum per week, three newsletters and two podcasts here in the off season, They get emailed to your inbox weekday mornings at 6 a.m. Central Time. It's the easiest way to sign up, and it's the easiest way to consume uh, our, all of our content.
1: Ferg, are you getting excited for Media Days? Because that is when the content machine gets rolling, baby. It's a new sports calendar, in my opinion, once SEC Media Days hits.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I was thinking about that this weekend. I, I think, you know, every year there's a point in the off season. Where I look up and I'm like, all right, we got to get something going on here. Like that something's got to happen. Uh, I'm I'm reaching the end of my rope. Uh, we've been pretty to... fortunate
1: this off season. The news kind of kept it kind of kept flowing for us.
0: Yeah. So by the you know by the time Auburn basketball season was over, and by the time spring football was over, we've had a good bit to talk about these last few months. So this week, if this is the only week where I'm like, hmm, all right, let's let's get to it. I consider that a victory because there's been some off seasons where like I'm ready for it hitting like May. So um, one, thanks to all you guys who subscribe and listen and read has made it a whole lot easier uh, to get through this off season, but it has been good. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to media days, um, media days. Uh, Most of you Atlanta. know that we make
1: fun of it as an event, yeah. but we still enjoy the time of the year—it's a nice signal to what is about to happen. And for you, you get to see people you probably don't get to see very often.
0: Yeah, there's a ton of value to it as a as a media event, um, interviewing players. And you know, I usually just go up there towards the end because I, uh, we did we did all four days uh, one year, and uh, that was fun. Did you kind of sad lot.
1: at the end of the fourth day? Like I was ready to go home, but also it just felt so empty.
0: Yeah. No, it, it definitely did. Um, I'm not going to pull that off. Uh not going to do the four days. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to getting up there, and um, it'll be good to talk to Brian Harson and some players on the record again. And just, you know, by the time you get your media day stuff through, it'll be fall camp, and uh, we will start to roll from there. But there is some actual sport-adjacent stuff going on with Auburn adjacent, I guess, all this adjacent right now um that we, we can uh we can talk about and the big one of course is summer league summer league's kind of the action that we're watching right now no auburn sports going on at the moment um but we do have summer league to talk about and um jabari smith has had his first two games of summer league uh and you know it's it, it's been an interesting start for him um with life with the Houston Rockets, uh, the the thing with the thing with Jabari, like first off, he played you know on Saturday night, uh, he had his big um, you know summer league showdown between him and Chet Holmgren. Didn't shoot the ball well at all in, in that game. Uh, he finished. I'm just trying to pull up the the line here. So Jabari finished on uh, on Saturday night. Five of 19 from the field. After that first, ga- that first game, he didn't take very many shots. And, you know, I, I, I Auburn fans, I love you. Obviously, you you know, I, I was one of you. Painter is one of you. And you, you know, keep us, you know, employed and, and having fun. Like, you know, you help pay our bills. Um, but I could tell that there were some of you guys on Twitter who had never watched a summer league game before because it was like, why are these guys shooting so much? It's like, they're trying to get on a team right they're trying to they, you know they uh it's like why are the guards shooting every time they they touch it it's like because if they hit enough of them they might get on somebody's roster these street free agents these guys who aren't under contract with some of these teams um you know they're going to take full full uh take tree the opportunity outs, baby. Full on. It's yeah it's treat it, out yeah it, it's like just keep just keep firing this this other this game though you felt like Jabari probably was going to be a little bit more aggressive with his shot and he had some good moments shooting the ball. Um, he hit a couple of threes. But, yeah, 5-19, 2-9 from deep. Not great there, but nine boards, four steals, three blocks uh, for Jabari. Um, I believe he did have a good, nice, uh, nice block on Chet Holmgren at one point in the game. Um, Tari East has been playing really well, by the way. I thought that was a really good pick. He's had two really good summer league games in terms of rebounding and shooting. Um, I think that's going to be a great fit there for Houston. But, yeah. Jabari, like I, I it's the thing with it's the thing with summer league too it's like this is a scrimmage this is the preseason to the preseason this is this is like if in the NFL and when they had a rookie minicamp if like they just played games like they just played seven on seven on top of it um so you know this is preseason to the preseason this is getting your feet wet getting in a system learning your teammates your new teammates your young teammates because like you know Jalen green's not playing in summer league there's a number of these guys that aren't playing in Summer League at all um, that that are on the Rockets' roster. And uh, shooting will come and go, right? Even for a guy who's really good at shooting like like Jabari, even the best sharpshooters have really bad games, have really off games. He had a couple at Auburn. Um, I think of, like, Steph Curry. Like, there's there, – you know, there, he had the game where he didn't hit a three. Um, you know, he had the – uh, he's had some really wild games where like he's you know gone like four of like 20 something from the field that happens but what I think is really helping him out right now is that his defense and rebounding have been very good he's practically playing the center spot for the Rockets right now uh, he's the tallest starter in, in the summer league for him and you know they'll have the huffs and goon uh when when they get into the regular season and all that but um I, I watching him some on Saturday night, I was remain impressed with the fact that he's very versatile on defense. He had, you know, four steals, three blocks. He had a, had a key shot late. Rockets ended up beating the thunder. Um, but his ability to attack the boards and be aggressive on defense and very versatile on that end, that shows a lot because not like summer league is an offensive showcase. Dudes are going to come in there and try to light it up and get theirs. And Jabari definitely shot a ton, uh, on Saturday. But I think when you watch the rebounding and you watch the defense for him, those are things that if you can be consistent with that, if that's what you can expect from him, you know, you can take a cold offensive night with that, right? If you play that well. And it's early, it's summer league. These guys are youngsters too. These guys are, are fighting to get on rosters as well, some of these other ones. But, you know his first couple NBA games, I've been really, really impressed with the way he plays defense, and that was that was the thing that was so underrated about him coming out of Auburn. Um, and you know, not surprising at all that he's doing a lot of dirty work early on. And even that first game, I thought he was deferring a little bit, passing a little too much. We saw that at Auburn. Um, didn't didn't see that as much on Saturday. And even though he didn't shoot well, you still saw him engage. You still saw him hitting a couple of big shots in the fourth quarter, and you and you saw him doing all the all the little things really, really well.
1: As I said, this is, for some of those guys, like a tryout or a tree out, which reminds me of the scene in The Longest Yard, the Adam Sandler version. Not sure how much of a fan of that one you are. That scene has Chris Rock, Tracy Morgan, Terry Crews, Joey Diaz, and Michael Irvin in it.
0: And the funniest person of that group is probably Michael Irvin. (laughs) (laughs) The guy who's not a comedian. Yeah, um... You were saying before we started recording, uh, you had a buddy that you're trying to send you a bunch of NBA, uh, NBA Twitter. Just tweets.
1: insanity. I mean, they have a reputation as like a group of big and insane online presence.
0: Yeah. Now I I can't stand NBA Twitter at all. Like it, it's real bad. Um, my my theory has always been if you really love something and you care about it and you want to have that love and 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 uh, care intact, don't join the Twitter for it. Right. It's, it's it can be really bad. NBA Twitter is so hot takey. It's like if you well, had Jabari first is already
1: take. not a good player.
0: It's summer league. It's summer league. It's summer league, right? You know? And even if he has a slow rookie season, if he goes out a slow start, it's his rookie year. Guys can get better. Guys can improve. Like Yeah, it would be a an overreaction to case. put
1: too much stock into his you know, first couple of games, let alone summer league games. And then of course you take in the preseason before the preseason, right, you take into account that some of these guys, like you say, are just trying to make a roster. So this isn't the kind of basketball you're going to see from the Rockets. Once that season starts up, there's so many different caveats you can give of why you shouldn't look into this at all.
0: There's so many it, it, folks who are like, you know, these these guards are shooting too much. or like the, the offense isn't like there. It's like, yeah, it's, it's summer league guys. Like, you know, it, it, it'll be all right. Um, the, I think the important thing for Jabari is just he gets his feet wet, and like I'm sure he'll have a summer league game before it's over with, where he just get, catches fire on offense, and people will be right back on board. It does seem like though, like NBA Twitter in general can be like ah whatever. It does seem like Rockets fans though, and like people who cover the Rockets, are like yes, eh, they, they're impressed with the with the uh, with the other stuff about his game right now, which I guess is something that you can really hold hold your hat. Uh, hang your hat on if you're if you're Jabari. Like he's fine. Like, you know, some of these guys out there are fighting for roster spots. Jabari Smith's gonna be a Houston Rocket unless they trade him. He's going to be under contract for four years. Like he's gonna get the two and two deal and it's just gonna keep going. Um so like it's a long game. It's big, big and, and again, he's still young. He's still he he's still really, really young. Like um I think it has come apparent a little bit early in summer league for him. That he's got to get better dribbling, but again, that's something he's never really had to do. He didn't really have to do it at Auburn, you know. He was catch and shoot purely, or catching one dribble and shoot uh, type of guy. Um, Auburn had wings and especially guards that would do the dribbling and the driving for him, for the most part. He's got to rebuild that, and he's gonna have to he's gonna have to build that back up. But there's a lot of time to do that. And that first game when he played against the Magic. Um, I thought he played well on defense and that and rebounded the well, you know, it was a little too passive on offense for what you would, you would want him to see him to pull the trigger. But like they had so many shot happy players on that team. Those guys were jacked. Uh, but like Powell looked really, really good, uh, in the early on. And it's like, I think that's some of that with them and Chad, it's like, you can think, and a lot of Auburn fans do, and a lot of people listen to this do. You can think that Jabari Smith was the best prospect and should have been number one overall. I am of that opinion as well. I also know, having watched Paolo really closely up in person in in Greenville and watching a lot of chat because he played for Gonzaga last year on TV, those two guys are really really good as well. Like I think Paolo is probably the most limited in terms of his skill set, but what he is good at, he is really good at. And he's six ten. He's made out of concrete. Chet Holmgren. The only thing with Chet Holmgren, and I know it's the criticism about it, is like the only thing with Chet Holmgren is he looks like he's going to get his chest caved in about about any time he tries to go in the post. Like that's the only thing that you can be really like, eh? Okay, maybe maybe it won't work out for him. Is that he's just really skinny and lightweight at this point? It was very
1: pleasant Skill set to wise, be he's got reminded it, man. that Kenny Lofton Jr. is still out there, still among us.
0: Yeah, I'm. I, uh, I think it was my buddy Robbie who goes to summer league every year. Was like Kenny Lofton is like the dude. He's he, he was like that guy's gonna be a summer league all star. And it's like, maybe so. Hey, uh, uh, you, you get a uh, you get rings this year. They're giving championship rings to whoever wins summer league this year. Speaking of stakes, they're uh,
1: trying to up the ante.
0: Trying to up the ante. Um, I think since they have since since this knowledge has come out now. That you can get rings for winning the summer league. I think Chris Paul should try to join a team because this is probably going to be his best shot uh, to ever get one, to ever get a ring at this point. Cripple. Um, but, uh, yeah, big, you know, we'll keep an eye on Jabari. Uh, I, I do think he's going to catch fire before he leaves Vegas, but I think some of that foundational stuff's really, really good, uh, early on. And so, um, I guess the thing is Auburn fans don't get don't get affected by the NBA Twitter takes. Uh they change rapidly and uh you know, this is a this it, it's a it's a section of the internet where everybody tries to be Stephen A Smith or who's that dude who works for Fox? Emmanuel Acho. Nick Yeah, well yeah, he's a, he's a, he's another Shannon? He's another level to
1: No, uh, I was thinking of Nick, uh, Wright. Oh yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm just yeah, where throwing it's, out names of people who say stuff
0: Hey, but shout out to Wen Horse for having that having that run though. We talked about that recently. With now, the, why is that? <laughs> now, why is that?
1: Um, he is a funny but, dude. The uh, video of him with the cheerleaders and the tambourine is so good. <laughs> Somebody dubbed uh, it with uh, Sean Paul's temperature. It's so good. He looks so <laughs> funny.
0: I changed my mind. That's gonna be that's gonna be the all outro right, song. All right. today. <laughs> um, I. Uh, all right, so. Let's uh, uh let us switch gears here with with basketball because not only do we have Jabari to talk about. By the way, Jared Harper had a really good summer league game on Sun uh, on no, Saturday night for the for uh for the Pelicans. Uh, but finally, finally, Walker Kessler has a home <laughs> and he is settled, and they are moving him in. It'd be so and everything so looks good sick
1: if they traded him in like a week right after he's probably signed a lease. <laughs>
0: it's it's just it's crazy man it took him forever to get to this point but walker kessler is now officially a member of the utah jazz Uh, this was a deal that was um officially uh announced the trade was officially announced the middle of last week uh and then on saturday they announced his deal um the jazz did not release the terms of his contract but uh according to uh according to all the information that we have. Uh 2.6964. Well, I shouldn't say point. Uh two hundred two million six hundred and ninety-six thousand four hundred dollars uh for his first season for Walker. Kessler looks like he's wearing number twenty-four in Utah, which will be an interesting it's a good number. At least they didn't give him a bad number, um to start out. And the interesting thing with Kessler is He's kind of it at center right now for the Utah Jazz. I was going to say, this feels like a double-edged
1: sword. On the one team, they are clearly rebuilding. On the other, you get to be kind of the focal... Well, not the focal point, but you get to be a part of the rebuild.
0: They are rebuilding to a degree, and, and I say that to a degree because... They are. Ke- it looks like they are keeping Donovan Mitchell. It looks like they're going to build the build the plane at, uh, around. Don- which Donovan think Mitchell. think Which is interesting good,
1: to uh... me. Like he seems like a guy that's a fun offensive player, but I don't want him to be my best player on a team. Like that's not a team that's going to win a championship.
0: There was that stretch. There was that stretch earlier in his career where like he would drop like forty a night, and you were like, oh man, this guy's got it. But it never really seemed to level up on that. It didn't seem like also that him and Gobert were a great pairing together. Um, I think that. Uh, you know, I'll be able to see what Utah does at this point to, to supplement it, because they're really not in a position where they have a ton of assets. They have a lot of assets. They have a lot of draft picks. That they they absolutely trade.
1: robbed Minnesota of...
0: Oh, man. it's That's so many assets for Rudy Gobert. And you could think Rudy Gobert is the greatest run protector that's ever lived. That's still right. a like lot. If you're into the analytics, you lot. like
1: Gobert, but it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's... uh. But right now, um, for Kessler, it's just him and Adoka as a as a Buki, uh, who played, who was a 2020 draft pick out of Kansas. Those are it. At like, yeah,
1: there's a way to carve Jazz. out a role for yourself that's significant, even if the team is going to be. I mean, I don't. What should there? I have no idea. Uh, it's early enough. Does anyone think this team is making the playoffs this year?
0: Uh, I mean, it depends on what they get around them. Like right now, the Utah Jazz, their roster. They've got, uh, Patrick Beverly, Jordan Clarkson still there. Mike Conley's still there. Mike Conley's
1: still there, man. It was fun when he was playing with Memphis.
0: Rudy, like, they have dudes. And, like, you know, it's not done yet. I, I just, so the talk was, and we mentioned this recently, the talk was whenever, um, whenever they, uh, they made that trade to get rid of, uh, to, to get rid of Gobert is that, Oh, maybe they're going to get involved in the DeAndre Ayton sweepstakes because that's going to be probably a sign and trade since he's a restricted free agent. Um, apparently that has kind of died down and they're rocking. And maybe it was a little bit of the waiting out period. Why it took so long for all this to go through is that they're probably rocking with what they've got right now. Um, the Jazz are interesting. I think they're in rebuilding mode, but they're not like they've got Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell. They've got some guys, right? Like, it's not like they're starting from square one. And then they're not starting with just kids. Like, this is not a rocket situation where everybody's a child on your team. You've got some all stars. You've got some guys that have been on really good basketball teams before. Um, you know, maybe some of those guys who have been all stars are a little past their prime at this point, but they're still at that, you know, they're still at that level. And Donovan Mitchell's really good. Will Hardy is their new coach. He comes from the Celtics organization. Part of that whole thing with Horst and did the whole "why is that?" They are kind of hitting the reset button. It was like, look, man, we're not going to win a championship with a core of Mitchell and Gobert. We're just not, you know. And and there was a stretch uh, there with Quinn Snyder, I think, a couple years ago where they were the number one team in in the in the West for a while. They were shooting the lights out. It just hasn't really stuck that way. They are doing the, the the rebuild slash reimagining, you know, kind of restructuring of who they are. They did that really bad rebrand where they look like Missouri now um, with their uniforms, which are pretty bad, except for that purple uh, Jazz, the purple mountain one, which I know gets some hate from some of you out there. But I still think it's a cool uh, a cool uniform. Um, so yeah, I mean, with Kessler signing. And being official it'll be interesting to see if he gets added to the summer league roster though there's still some time that he could get on it at this point but also like you know he's he's one of two centers on the roster and we'll see what uh, i think saw White whiteside's a free agent at the moment um so i i'm i'm curious to see i'm curious to see what what happens there uh with with kessler because i mean he is playing for a playoff team, and we thought like when he went to the Timberwolves, hey, maybe it's something he can develop into. There's a really good chance to get some, some early playing time there because the Utah Jazz did not have a first-round pick. They didn't have a second-round pick either. They didn't have a pick in this past draft. Trading for Kessler, Kessler is essentially their draft pick. like He is their rookie. And so I think with this new, new setup, they're going to want to build around him.
1: I'm not sure if they've come out yet. At least I can't find them, but I was trying to find odds, futures for... NBA teams. This is a rambling way of saying. I'll be curious to see where they set the over/under for the Jazz.
0: I think it's be a step back. I don't know if anybody's going to really expect them to be a, a playoff team this year. But like the back half of the, those those last spots, especially now in the system where you have that play-in tournament, like could they be one of the ten best teams in the Western Conference? Sure, because the Western Conference also has the Kings in it, and the you know and and the Thunder and the Rockets are all, you know trying to are in rebuild mode. And God bless Damian Lillard for trying to take as much money from the Portland Trailblazers as possible. He's got that, Um, uh, he's
1: got that Mark Stoops in him.
0: It's so, it's so good because there was a graphic about like how all stars, like guys in all stars, the, there are five players in the league that are all stars, uh, that have been with their current team for double digit seasons. And it's now Lillard, Bradley Beal, and Steph, Clay, and, and Draymond. And so, like, Steph Clay and Draymond staying together. They're the core. They're, they've are they been on this dynasty team. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Lillard and Beal are like, we're staying here. We're getting as much money as we can in the process. Like, Bradley Beal is, like, one of the few... Um, Bradley Beal's gotten one of the few no-trade clauses in NBA history now in his new contract. Like, my man is just taking it. Get that money. And, uh, you know... I don't know. Lillard does that whole thing where he's like, people don't want to stay. They're running from the grind. They don't want to. They don't want to be with a team that that's been with them. People have their criticism over that. Bradley Beal, I think, just straight up is just like, man, you know what's good? Making a, making more money than anybody else. This is a roundabout way of uh, the the Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler updates. Be very interested to see what those guys do moving forward. I hope we get to see Walker in summer league a little bit um, if if they can make that happen. All right, Um, for the rest of the show, we are going to talk about Auburn's secondary. We've kind of done a segment or an extended segment here in the podcast this offseason on pretty much everything. We've talked quarterbacks. We've talked running backs, receivers, definitely tight ends, offensive line, defensive line. We did linebackers not too long ago. Painter wanted to do a deeper dive on the DBs, which we will do here shortly. Before we do that, Painter let the folks at home know how they can continue to support what we've got going on here at the Observer. rate
1: review subscribe, ladies and gentlemen. We are trying to get those numbers up. Rate review subscribe.
0: It's the easiest thing to do is go to Apple Podcasts, search the Auburn Observer, click the Auburn Observer, scroll down to ratings and reviews, tap write a review, give us five stars, say something nice about Painter in it. We will read it on the air. I will say we haven't had we haven't had a review to read in a while, so. It's prime opportunity for somebody to step up to the plate for us. We don't ask for much. Some of you have left multiple reviews, and we thank you for that. Uh, But uh, we we'd like to read some more reviews here. I know it's the dog days of summer. I know we're you know we're still getting ready and gearing up for for football season. Media days right around the corner. You know it'll, it'll be a livelier spot then. But you know, take advantage if you want if you want the spotlight all to yourself. This is your chance. This is your time.
1: Thousands of you are subscribed. We can do this together.
0: Yes, we can do this together. As I said earlier, you can also subscribe to The Observer, the newsletter, and you get a bonus podcast if you like the show and you want more of it. You get twice as much of it if you are a subscriber. Uh, Go to AuburnObserver.com, sign up there. $6 a month, $60 a year, or you can do a free trial like some of you have had. Some of you did a free trial here the last couple of weeks and have converted into paid subscribers. So if you're one of those people, hello and welcome uh, to the inner circle also we're brought to you by our friends at homefield apparel homefieldapparel.com the number one place to get premium collegiate apparel with the best vintage designs you're gonna find anywhere big new Saturday rolling on they did Nebraska they did Oklahoma this past weekend um, they got a they got a big 12 team coming up here this week uh, that you that you might be interested in I will say this it's a it's a team that Auburn has had a connection to uh, here in the last I'll say last decade plus. So, you might want to check that out if you are interested. Also, they've got cool looking stuff. So, I'll be interested to see what Homefield does with them. But more importantly, Homefield Apparel does Auburn stuff. And they have the best Auburn apparel you're going to find anywhere. The softest t shirts, the coolest designs. Uh, if you want to get ready for sweatshirts or hoodies, they've got that there too. A lot of football, basketball, and baseball designs. And just some general cool Auburn apparel designs. Uh, that you know, you're not gonna find you're not gonna find those logos, you're not gonna find those uh, those styles anywhere else. So, homefieldapparel.com is where you can get it. Uh, if you want to get 15% off your first ever order at Homefield, just type in the promo code Observer when checking out. Let them know that the Observer sent you. And uh, yeah, appreciate Connor and Whitney and the whole gang up in Indy with the good brand for continuing to support us here on the show. Yes, Painter.
1: Oh, I have nothing more to contribute except to say that those shirts are very soft.
0: Very, very soft. I wear I wear them all the time. I need to get more. I'm, I'm about to make another little run right before football season, I think. So, Panery, we wanted to talk about the DBs. They've flown um, under
1: the radar, baby. Lots of focus on I the lines. So. Lots of focus on quarterback play, Tank Bigsby, whatever. But I feel like given that one of Auburn's best players left the position last year to go to the NFL... Feels like they haven't been talked about.
0: Well, I've you know i I've talked about getting the I, you know I talked about getting the Athlon uh, magazine last week at Publix, uh, and I've been reading through it. The Auburn section, it's always interesting. I like reading what other people say about Auburn, you know, because I know what I think, and I know what other people on this beat uh, say because I read them and and uh, you know see what they've got going on. Would kind of get an outside perspective on it. One of the things they mentioned in the preview for Auburn this year is that even though Roger McCreary and Smoke Monday are gone, uh, whoever it is who wrote it, Athlon's collection of writers, they believe that the secondary could still be the strength of the defense. And when I read that first, I was like, well, that's interesting. Because I would say the defensive line, you've got Colby Wooden, you've got Marcus Harris, but then I thought, well, the depth there might be kind of the question mark, right? You put the edge... The secondary, for as much overhaul and as much kind of turnover they had back there, you think about it this way, they've got several guys with good starting experience coming back to the point where, you know, take take corner, for example, you've got um, Nehemiah Pritchett, you've got Jalen Simpson, and then you've got DJ James transferred in for Oregon. One of those three guys isn't going to start, right, theoretically. Then you throw in Keontae Scott, the number one Juco corner in the country. Two of those guys technically wouldn't start. We'll see who ends up being the nickel and all that. And maybe you can shuffle it around. You do have uh, Donovan Kaufman back. You do have um, you, you you do have Zion Puckett back at, at safety. And then you added Craig McDonald from Iowa State and the number one safety from the junior college ranks as well, Marquise Gilbert. So, like two of the best instant impact guys you can get anywhere from the Juco from the Juco ranks at your position you got the balance there you've also got the balance of adding both DJ James and Craig McDonald guys who have played good minutes good quality minutes good quality snaps at the FPS level in the case of Craig McDonald on a pretty fun defense in the case of DJ James on an Oregon team where he where he he was thrown into the fire and um, came out of it pretty pretty intact um, a lot of versatility there. And then, because your defensive backs coach, Zach Etheridge, who has done really, really good work on the recruiting trail, since he is your ace recruiter, you also got two really good players in uh, J.D. Rim and uh, uh, Osbury, Austin Osbury, um, here in this last class. Four-star guys, high four-star guys uh, that a lot of SEC programs wanted. There is depth and quality there. And then, like, more than any other position group in spring ball, you heard about young guys, unsung heroes, stepping up to the plate in that defensive backfield, whether it's a Caden Bridges, uh, whether it is a guy like Rim, whether it's a guy like Caleb Wooden. There were a lot of those dudes that stepped up, and so that secondary, you know, the more you think about it, the more you, you feel good. Because that defensive line has a lot, an edge rusher has a lot of talent in the front end, but that depth, something happens you start having some question marks. The secondary, you know, you've got at corner and safety, you've got guys who are not going to quote-unquote be starters. They'll play big roles and you need that that many depth, but you'll have guys who aren't quote-unquote starters that were either starters somewhere else in the FPS level or some of the best JUCO players you could get. Or, down further on down the line, really good high school recruits, and so there's a lot to like about this secondary. And this secondary, this past season, I thought, um, you know, they had a really bad game against uh, Mississippi State, and they had a tough game also against against Penn State, um, but they did their job more often than not. And I thought that I thought that was a kind of a key to the year for them.
1: Defensive line needs a lot of Th- things to break right, because <laughs> you know, unfortunately,
0: specifically. Specifically, they need them not to break. Right. I think that's kind of the, the, 100%. Yeah, I think that's the whole Nobody's thing. Nobody's
1: doubt, doubting the skill level of that unit. But uh, football, notorious for people not being healthy.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, th- this past season, I think there was a lot of talk. Like, in 2020, Auburn's pass defense kind of took a step back or took a big step back from where they had been um, statistically. And then in 2021, even though this was a system that was playing a little more off man, playing more zone, kind of bend don't break, got better in yards per attempt, got got better in uh, completion percentage allowed, got better in passing efficiency allowed, um, created, let's see, uh, the same amount of interceptions, um, you know, from from that year. But uh, I think they have a ten- they have a potential to take that kind of step. Uh, forward this year because you're in the second year of a a system um, a very similar system even though you don't have derrick mason anymore you know it looks like auburn's defense schematically is going to be very similar to what they did um and i think i think the secondary it's like we've said it in the past if you'd rather have a really good defensive line or a really good secondary i would rather have the really good defensive line but you know good news for auburn is is that they've got more depth on that back end and they've got like i said more and more guys on there who have had starting experience either at the FBS level or are guys that are instant impact type of players that you get uh, you know, out of the portal or, on, or or in the junior college ranks.
1: Not a lot has happened, or there has not been a lot of discussion, I feel, around Auburn losing both of its coordinators this offseason.
0: The interesting thing there is that traditionally, when you change both of your coordinators but not your head coach, it's usually not a great sign for the next season. And, and it might it might have an impact here, but I think the thing is, is that you know, Brian Harson got two guys and Mike Bobo and Derek Mason who had SEC experience weren't necessarily guys that he had any experience with. Now his two coordinators are his guys, right? And if anything's going to counteract the lack of count- continuity, if anything's going to counteract that sudden change, it's going to be that you would expect more of these people to be on the same page, you know, um, just because of the pat prior experience, I think I think externally I think people are looking at you know both your coordinators leaving include especially Derek Mason the fact that Derek Mason left for a for a step down or a lateral move at best against Oklahoma State and of course, we know that happened around the same time as the investigation kind of kicked off kind of the firestorm with what happened with with Brian Harson and that investigation that was that was kind of like. He left, and then things started spiraling from there. Um, you know, I think externally people are looking at, at Auburn and saying, like, that that right there is why there's an issue. And I think for Auburn is that what they're saying is that, you know, Brian Harson trusts these two guys that are, that are his coordinators, and everybody's on the same page, and everybody's bought in. Same thing you see with the players who have remained. There's some really good players that left. There's some really good coaches who aren't at Auburn. More. Nick Eason is tearing it up right now at the, on the recruiting trail at at Clemson. That one stings. Now, he went back yeah, home. I mean, I get it. Yeah, he I went back it. home. It's a little di- a little different, but yeah, it does it does sting. It does sting because you know he's picking off guys that you feel like Auburn would have killed to have uh, at this point. I mean, he's beating Alabama recruiting battles at Clemson for in-state guys at Alabama. Like that's that's pretty significant. Um, and if they
1: didn't see eye to eye, it probably is for the better that everybody parted ways. But. Like you say, it's not something that after one season, generally you're fired up that a, a chunk of your staff has left.
0: And I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's not like in 2011 to 20 Like 2012, Auburn had two brand new coordinators. And boy, it did not work out on either side of the ball. And it was a disastrous season. And I think there's some people who may look at it and say, whoo, if things fall apart, they're going to point to that, right? They're going to point to like, ah, it's history repeating itself. I think the difference here is that both of these guys that are stepping in like there's not going to be huge schematic changes. It doesn't seem like they're going to ch- they're going to change much on defense, and then the offense remains the same. It's just going to have more of a Harts and flavor. So it's like we're getting in guys that you know promoting guys that we know. If if you're Brian Harts, is like these are the guys we trust. And like, look, it may not work, right? Part of the reason that Mike Bobo and Derek Mason were good hires on paper, and I think in the case of Derek Mason, really worked out. At times, and you know, hey, Mike Bobo was offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Brian Harson definitely had a hand in both of there, but Bo Nix had his best season of his career. He took a step forward under him. Um, again, the the final results are what they are, and they weren't great. But part of the reason why those guys were such good hires is like, okay, we've done this before. We've gotten in this spot. Now it's like, okay, you're in year two. It's not you're not completely inexperienced. Brian Harson's talked about how much he learned about his being in his first year in the SEC. Now it's doing it with his guys, and again, it comes back to the whole thing about is Harson handcuffed? Uh, you know, why, what, Everything that happened in the winter, how much is that going to impact him? Can he win? Can? Is there any chance that he's going to survive? Any of that stuff? It's like, well, if you're going to give him a chance and you're going to let him let him work and let and let him give it, you know, have an opportunity to overcome all this. Him doing it his way is the best way to do it, right? Like, that's that's the key there. But it wasn't like everybody left, right? The players, you know, um, Bennett Durando, who we had on a couple times last month talk Baseball, had a really good story in the advertiser last week that I encourage people to check out. He did a really cool story where he took the snap counts of everybody who left Auburn in the transfer portal and then who came in and compared... Um, there's some really interesting numbers there because on defense it was, I mean, they, they upgraded in a huge way on defense. They got guys who have played a lot and didn't lose a ton of guys that had played a lot. Now on offense, it's, well, you're losing a, a, a three year start. At quarterback, you're losing your best wide receiver. You brought in guys that you're going for upside more than established. So it's that interesting kind of back and forth there, but you know, That's the thing about, you know, it wasn't like everybody was just jumping off the ship, right? Zach Etheridge had a chance to go coach at Georgia, right? The defending national champion. I know he loves Auburn, and I know Auburn took care of him with this new contract. But it's Georgia, right? He could have been part of the machine, or at least the machine junior uh, Yeah, for being objective, uh, that's
1: a nice thing to put on the resume.
0: Oh, for sure. But he stayed, Right there's some really good football players that could have gone to the transfer portal or gone pro tried their hands at the NFL after all this this off season, And they came back and we've talked about it throughout this offseason. You look at like things like the Pythagorean expectation, you look at SP plus, you look at all these kinds of stuff. Auburn on paper and on the field was better than a six and seven football team last year. So if they fall apart this year and they don't have really a record, it's going to be on the merits of like, it didn't work. Because it's not going to be the fact that this team doesn't have talent. This team's got talent, right? It might not be the most complete roster in the world. It might not be the most balanced roster in the world. It might not be the most experienced roster in the world, right? But this is not like this is some hopeless situation. Brian Harson inherited some dudes, and he's added some dudes. It's got to to all come together, right? And, And I think if Auburn has a really bad year this year, I don't know if you can sit there and say, well, you know, just the deck was stacked against them, like, no, this, this was a good football. And there were times last season where they played really good football. And, like, case in point, the defense almost won in the Iron Bowl. And I know they're not all all back this year, and that's just the nature of what happens in college football. But, yeah, it, it's my whole thing with this team this year. Is like, there's talent here to take a step forward. There's talent. There There's opportunity. The schedule's tough. The challenge are tough. The question marks are huge. There's uh, – like, it's, it comes down to, can Auburn get a really good passing game out of pieces at this point? Out of pieces that, you know, either don't have a ton of experience here or don't have a ton of experience, pe- period. That's what all has got to happen. But, you know, I, I Auburn, Auburn is much closer to the team that started 6-2 and two than the one that lost the last five games of the year. And we can say that because huge reason for that was Bo Nicks. There's a mailbag question recently. You know, what happens if Bonix doesn't get hurt? If Bonix doesn't get hurt, they probably win nine, eight or nine games last season. And I don't even know if we're in any of this situation right now. Uh, it's harder to
1: envision about. all of the offseason unhappiness becoming public. If they, yeah, win, if they just, no, win games, you know, I, I've joked about it. Like the truthers out there, like me, you know, it's like, Hey, nine games on the table. But if you're being more, a little more realistic, it's like, well, okay, maybe you take two of the three that you ultimately dropped and that gets you to eight wins, which in year one is not anything to, to be overly disappointed about. I mean, uh, not to, I probably shouldn't make the comparison, but oh, well, uh, Nick Saban and Kirby smart. If I remember correctly, both had seven win first years at their programs.
0: Yes and you know they were in they were inheriting different uh, obviously uh, Saban inherited a completely different planet than what he was on but yeah, George is a little different you know they had had some disappointing years but they had had some really good years under Rick um i i think if you're i think if you're auburn though and we've talked about the michigan state comparison we've talked about others in the past it's like you got your guys you went and hit the portal you went into the JUCO ranks. You're rallying around yourselves. This is a year where you can make it, you know, kind of put it all together. It would be di- like, I, if Bo Nix doesn't get hurt, and if Bo Nix is still your quarterback at Auburn, I think they're entering this season. People are talking about, hey, this team might surprise some folks. All right. right with LSU instead, where it
1: is and some of the uncertainty around Ole Miss right. and Arkansas. Like and I don't think either of us think that they're real contenders in the West. And it's like I'm not buying Texas A and m either until I see it, until I see them beat Alabama and also win the West.
0: Instead, Bonex gets hurt. There's obviously people who leave the program, Nick's being one of them. The roster's different. The roster's taking a step back in some areas. He goes somewhere else. And now you're at the point where it's like Okay, is Auburn going to make a bowl game this year? That's like like what the outside question is at this point. And I go back to, I know quarterback's the most important position on the field, right? I know that Kobe Hudson was really good at at Auburn, a wide receiver, and they've got to find receivers, plural, to step up this year. But, again, like the team the team that when they were healthy was playing pretty good football, for the most part, I mean, the A&M games, A&M, the, the losses were what they were, right? But you had a chance to beat Alabama. You should have beaten Mississippi State. You should have beaten South Carolina. You talk about this team in a completely different light, if things... And, and so it's like, I know Knicks, I know quarterback is is the most important spot, but can one or two absences, can one or two departures on offense really shift the where this team is that much and it's like i think the truth is somewhere near the middle i'm not going to say it doesn't matter but i think it's like it needs to be a little bit more balanced than that like i'm not saying auburn's gonna win nine or ten games this year i think if they win eight it's a successful season i think if they win i think if they win seven that's kind of hitting where where you think where they're at right now um but like I've I've been around this program long enough to know it's like weird stuff happens here, man. (laughs) Like it just does. Um and so if you want to be a fan that has optimism right now and you wanna be a fan that says, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna shock the world this year, we're gonna be better than people think we are. This is not you know, the Brian Harson era is not going down this quickly and that, you know, this program is gonna keep building. If you want to think that, and I think this is the perfect time to think that, and you have every right to, as, as I've said in the past, it's better to be optimistic in the offseason than pessimistic. You'll have plenty of time for real life to make you pessimistic. <laughs> Enjoy the optimistic times when you can get them if you're an Auburn fan. If you're one of those people, I think there's enough pieces on this football team, and I think there's enough reasoning to say, hey, if one or two things go well, if one or two things – if Brian if Harson is the quarterback guy that he has been in the past – if this defense lives up to its expectations, if they can run the ball like they say they're going to run the ball this year, if those things can happen, yeah, they can do it. They can absolutely do it. And instead of sitting here this offseason talking about, you know, hot seats or coaching changes or anything like that, you can talk all about Auburn taking a step forward. Yeah, that scenario is definitely in play. So I think it just all comes it comes back to, you know, was what Brian Harson was was what Brian Harson was hired to do, which is build a consistent football team, develop quarterbacks, get better passing games, and and close the gap between themselves and their higher recruiting powerhouse rivals. Year 2 in a very condensed and a very quick timeline. All of that is there's going to be a ton of pressure, but man, you're going to be able to check all those boxes yes or no after this year. Not saying it's a done deal, not saying things can get better or get worse moving forward no matter what happens this season, but like this is gonna be a really big litmus test for the things that you hired Brian Harson for. The problem is is that he just the situation that happened earlier this year happened, and you gotta deal with the ramifications of that. And those were not all of his making, and those were not all of the the athletic department's making. It was a mess all the way around. But you gotta deal with it. And you gotta move forward.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong. There was only one game that they were really out of all of last year, and it was actually about a half. It was the second half of the Georgia game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So from that lens, you know, I tend to think Auburn's going to repeat that and and be in a competitive place in most of their games. They may end up losing <laughs> some some of those. But it's
0: gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough to be quite as competitive. They're, they're, between- they're gonna lose to Georgia. and They're
1: gonna lose Alabama because those games are on the. But run. here's the
0: thing. Here's the thing. That's the thing. It's like they're on the road for those games, but then I also counter with that as like, man, it's gonna be a lot of football played between now and and the Iron Bowl. Like Auburn could be a completely different looking team at that point. But yeah, like I think it's gonna be tougher to be as competitive, if not more, you know, more competitive in those games. But you do get Penn State at home, you get a And M at home. I think a And M will be better, but you know, Auburn is playing at home in those games. And Then everybody else, you either beat or you were competitive against. So. You know, it, it it doesn't take a miracle for it, it doesn't take a miracle for Auburn to be better this year. Now, I think the scenario that you lay out where things don't go well for Auburn this year is pretty obvious. You know, you trip up in the first five
1: games when you got a bunch of home games, and then you got to turn around and play the bulk of your SEC yeah, schedule.
0: That passing game, that passing game where you don't have you don't have Bo Nix anymore, you don't have very many much experience of wide receiver. Can't throw the ball effectively. Your offensive line doesn't take that step forward. Your running game still isn't maximized out. You know, the the, the losses you had on defense hurt, right? Linebacker, defensive back specifically. Losing guys like Zacobe McClain and Roger McCreary do hurt. And the sovereign team is in a worse spot than they were in last year and and they fight that way and 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 the schedule's tougher, so naturally they they take a step back. Like that it's it's not it's not hard to come up with that scenario as well. And I and, uh, sitting here on July tenth, I think either of those things are in play. I think improvements in play, and I think having a rough year is in play for sure. For well, all. think about like, how different they've got so they've got so much that hinges on just a few games or a few players.
1: Yeah, the vibes at six and two going into the Texas A and M game, right.
0: I mean, there. I mean, there was thought that there was thought that Auburn could make things interesting and like maybe crash, crash the 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 SEC title. Fast race.
1: forward a month later, obviously
0: everything is burning, <laughs> everything is bad, right? So that's where I go back to. It's like, where's the real Auburn? I think the real Auburn might be somewhere in the middle. I also think the real Auburn might be closer to the team that started six and two than the team that started that ended zero and five, because the team that ended zero and five did not have a quarterback that they were that they that was that was ready like you know and i'm not saying tj finley has no chance to be, be your starting quarterback i'm not saying that at all um i know tj finley was thrown into the fire and it did not work out it just didn't click nothing was working for that offense he was in a rough situation and it got worse on him um but i think it'll be different if you have a quarterback that you feel more confident in at the beginning of the year i think if you're healthier obviously you feel differently about this team I, th- I do think the defense, though, has the-, has the chance to be just as good as they were last year. And I know you did lose some big-name guys, but I think the second year of a-, of a system, you can see some of that just, like, r- it lifts everybody. And, um, I mean, but guys like Nehemiah Pritchett, I think that defensive line is awesome. The edge rushers, those guys who, if they can stay healthy, they're awesome. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what a healthy Owen Papo looks like. Um, but the guys who are having to step up this year on defense – and play bigger roles. They were either really good recruits or guys who have who have proven it at the FBS or JUCO level before, and that's a really good spot to be in compared to where you're on offense, where you're looking at wide receiver. It's like you're gonna need guys to step up, and they really haven't done it yet, right? It, it's a little different. It's it, it, or it's a lot different, I think, in some of those in some of those areas. Um, and quarterback, you have more experience there, and we talked about it recently about how Calzada. Finished his year before he got hurt really well at A&M. Um, yeah. You can make the argument one way or another. So I think that's my advice for if you want to be the pessimistic fan, you got plenty of ammo. I'm not going to slow you down. If you want to be an optimistic fan, you can get plenty of ammo if you look hard for it. You don't have to be a sunshine popper. You can be realistic. But you can be realistic about this team and say, yeah, they take that step forward and we're looking at Auburn football not lighting the world on fire this year, not competing for a championship this year, but taking a step forward to saying, hey, what did Brian Harson get called in to do in the first place? Build a consistent contender, not as up and down uh, as Auburn has been in recent years. That scenario is is in play, uh, but it's going to take a lot. And I think fortunately uh, for, for Auburn, it's the things that Brian Harson was hired to do. So it's either going to work or you're going to get a really good good look at what at who he is as a coach and, and what he was hired to do, <laughs> you know, in a pretty high-pressure situation. All right, that will do it uh, for this podcast. Like we said, you can listen to our podcast when Nicole Auerbach is in the free feed. Um, so if you listen to this on Spotify or any of your apps where you're not a subscriber, you should be able to scroll down and find that there. Uh, we unlock that for you guys. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, We will be back later in the week, uh, for those of you who are members of the Inner Circle. Newsletters and podcasts as we get ready for SEC Media Days. and The unofficial start of football season It's just right around the corner. That'll do it for me, Painter.
1: Despite leading the NFL a number of times being sacked, which player posted the highest QB rating during the 2012 regular season? Eli Manning, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning.
0: 2012 would have been... got sacked Despite the, most. the
1: NFL a number of times being sacked, this player posted the highest QB rating in 2012.
0: Is that the year where everybody thought Peyton was going to die? Because he just <laughs> kept getting hit so much?
1: That. I'm not sure which year that was.
0: Yeah. Well, what's the answer? Aaron Rodgers. He was yeah. sacked 51 was times stre- in
1: 2012.
0: There was a stretch where the, he had no help in front of him and he just refused to throw the ball away. He still posted a QB rating of 108. Just keep him upright. That's all you got to do.
2: The girl them's kill our team. It's on the ball. give it to, some give it to, some give it to, to our girls. Five million and forty, naughty, shorty. Baby girl, I'm a girl. I'm a girl. Well, home on the way, the time pole, I wanna be keeping you warm. I got the right temperature for shelter you from the storm. Hold on, girl, I got the right tactics to turn you on. And girl, I wanna be the papa, you can be the mom. Oh, oh. I can see the girl them broke out on the floor oh, oh. from your door. Wanna work this performer? From your door, wanna man, we can't turn you on. Girl, me can see you when them a find ya. Yeah. Oh, oh. Can't stand for the long. Nah eat no ham, no nah. steamed fish, nor nah. no green banana. Oh, oh. But down in Jamaica, we give it to you I'd like a sauna. Well. Um-